Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Mike. And uh, if you're new here, thanks for showing up. Uh, and, uh, it, this is a podcast where we take some of the uh, some of the leaders around our great city and uh, you know business owners, scientists, athletes, kind of any, anything in between who are really, really conquering their fields. And uh, we interview them, long form interviews, talk about their life, their story, what's going on with their business. We've racked up a lot of these over the years, but uh, there's always, always really interesting people to talk to in Columbus. It's one of the best parts about uh, Columbus is that people are always willing to sit down and share their story with us. So with that being said, today on the show, we've got Adam Hines and Jordan Hellman joining us, and they are the co-founders of High Bank Distillery. And they've got a really cool story. And, uh, you know, the, the way that their team was able to come together this year to help the community by delivering a lot of much needed, uh, much needed hand sanitizer, for one thing, was was pretty Pretty inspiring to hear about, but it's still, they've really kind of established a brand for themselves and are a well-known company here in Columbus, not just for their restaurant, but for all the drinks that they make from gin, whiskey, and vodka to some of their other items. So they've got a lot of cool stuff going on. We really enjoyed talking with them and we hope you enjoy listening to this episode as well. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. I'm truly never comfortable. When I'm comfortable, I'm bored. I just have to keep going. Only when you're a little bit scared are you in a place where you're about to learn something. We're explorers, and explorers are making discoveries because they are going places where people haven't before. Urban Meyer. There's one guarantee in this world, and that's hard work will be rewarded. And hard work, you have to embrace discomfort. I love how you said that. Live uncomfortably. Donato's Jane Abel. We have a umbrella idea of agape capitalism, which is about doing business and doing it with love and giving back to the community. And I believe in our products, but more importantly, I believe in our people. Pelotonia CEO, Doug Oldman. There's this genuine pride for things that were born and raised in Columbus. And that's awesome. At the same time, there's this beautiful Midwest humility. People don't necessarily care about who gets credit. Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. One of our goals is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. And that goal stays the same 24 7365. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Mike. And uh, here in the booth, we've got Tim and Josh today. Josh and I are sharing a microphone, though. So here, let me pass it over to him so he can talk. Hello, hello. Our, our editor is going to have a ton of fun with this episode. <laughs> oh, man. And I even pulled it away from him before he finished talking. So we're going to have to... Uh, be so if you guys notice a little bit of uh flip-flopping here that's what's going on but uh tim how are you doing over there man i'm doing all right i got my own mic so i think things are good on this side <laughs> yeah, of the table. he's over there feeling <laughs> feeling strong well the reason we have uh you know mike josh and i sharing a mic today is we've actually got two guests on our show today and they are adam hines and jordan hellman and adam and jordan are the founders of high bank distillery company and uh, if you guys don't know where it is it's a distillery and restaurant located in grandview ohio but uh, the team at High Bank distills whiskey, vodka, gin, and rum. And their restaurant serves a variety of options that change fairly often with the seasons. But we're really excited to have Jordan and Adam on to talk about the founding of the company, how things have changed over time, and everything they have going on today. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, gentlemen. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, it's exciting to have you here. And, uh, you know, one of the first places we'd like to start. So can you introduce yourselves just so people know your voice and give us a little background on yourselves? Yeah, this is Jordan Hellman, uh, one of the founders with Adam. A uh, little bit about myself. I uh, grew up in Columbus, specifically in Gahanna. 
Um, oh, well, what's there to say? You know, grew up in the city, went to Gahanna Christian, uh, went to DeVry for college so that I could go to school year round so I could get my career started. Spent about five years in insurance and then decided, you know, be a good idea to quit my job with my wife and start another business called Zest Juice Company. Met Adam along the way and decided uh, to start hyping together. So it's a quick, you know, down and dirty background. Yeah, for me, uh, this is Adam. I'm from Northeastern Ohio, Canton, Ohio specifically. Uh, what brought me down to Columbus was I went to art school down here at Columbus College of Art and Design. I'm coming up on living in Columbus as long as I lived from where I'm from. Uh, 18 years in Canton, 18 years in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, so it feels like really weird uh, that this is like solidified as absolutely my home. So so my background is in uh, design and brand management. Jordan and I were friends beforehand, but that's how we started working together. I started doing uh, brand projects for him, uh, for him and his wife at Zest. So Adam, I hate to do this to you, but you're from Canton. Does that mean you're a Browns fan? We're both Browns fans. Yes. Oh. Man. Yes. What What are you? I hope you're not a Steelers fan or else I'm no, going to walk out. No, 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 no. I grew up in San Diego, California, so I have been so you don't teamless. Count. What are you, a Chargers teamless. fan? I used to be. Uh, then they yeah, went to LA. So imagine, imagine that the Browns went to Pittsburgh yeah. and that's what happened to California, the San Diego fans. But yeah. unfortunately, you guys aren't going to like this. Uh, my wife's from Cincinnati, so I have picked up the Bengals. Now, well, I, I just feel I sorry like, for you. Well, I was going <laughs> to yeah. say, so I wanted, so I thought maybe I'll hop on the Browns train, but I felt like that would be unfair because- yeah. I would have hopped on right when they started getting good and I would have missed all the bad parts. I'm like, <laughs> so I, you would have I just feel, hopped on this year then I because feel, every yeah. year prior was right. not a good year. I feel better picking up the Bengals because they suck. Yeah, it's true. And living through some suck. And then I feel like I'm not a bandwagon fan. Yeah, they, so and they have, but they have promise, which is good. Future's, right. uh, future's bright. Yeah, future's bright. As long I, as they can protect Joe Burrow's knee. <laughs> I don't hate the Bengals. Like, like when you talk about what are the teams that you hate the most, I hate Michigan, obviously, like being an Ohio fan. I don't hate them nearly as much as I hate the Steelers. Oh. And I hope that doesn't offend. I'm right there with bank, you. The Steelers I, always beat the Chargers in the playoffs. Oh and, and just Does anybody like the Steelers other than people in Pittsburgh? I don't think so. No. But all right, we're already off topic. Uh, <laughs> I digress. So let's step back and talk about, you guys mentioned you guys both met somehow. Yeah. What's that somehow? So I was uh, leading a small group at church uh, with my wife and I and uh, Jordan. the distillery. <laughs> yes. Jordan uh, attended that small group and we became friends. That's how, that's how we met. So, and so what are the early days look like? I mean, you guys, you guys come together and you start doing some work with him with zest. And then yeah, all I of mean, a sudden, early, early days were, I mean, it was honestly a friendship. You know, we even had business ideas. Remember voiceless that t-shirt company. This was like probably a year or two after we met, we were, hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were going to hound dogs coming up with, uh, you know, city ideas, barbecue. And, yeah, city barbecue, all that stuff. So we've been, you know, it was, it was more, I feel like Jordan always utilized me as a designer. He had ideas. He was like, Hey, Adam, I want to do this. And I was like, sure, I'm down. And you know, we were kind of, it was, it was much a friendship. I mean, before I even did zest, we were probably friends for four or five years. He was yeah. in my wedding. I was in his wedding. Um, you know, it was a solid friendship. And then, you know, him and his wife wanted to start zest and, and it was just kind of a, a trickle effect from there. And Zest is a pretty big, I mean, you guys are still doing that, right? Yeah, we've got four locations around the city. Just got through our sixth year, moving into our seventh year. So yeah, very excited uh, about the opportunities that business has brought us. It's taught us a ton about running a business. I would not be able to be the partner I am in High Bank had I not learned a lot of very tough lessons with Zest. So it's been an incredible business. And it's part of why we're in Grandview. Our Zest Grandview location does incredible. And the success of that location gave us a lot of the confidence that we knew Grandview was the right place to start High Bank. And also Adam lived in Grandview previously. So we definitely felt we had some ties to this community. 
they kind of work together too. Like get drunk on one and then, you know, detox, retox <laughs> yeah. situation. We even use the vitamin C bus as the high C for, uh, you know, high bank. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, <laughs> a, it's, a, it's, it's a, a very complimentary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they work, they work well together. So I yeah. guess you guys decide, well, you know, this, this juice thing's working all right. Why don't we try distilling? Uh, Jordan, the, Jordan asked if I wanted to, so, so the juice thing, how I always say it is the juice thing was his wife's idea. That was something that she was really passionate about. And Jordan just wanted to open up a business. You yeah. know, he wanted to be a business owner. So they did that. And then he approached me. and was like, Hey, do you want to open up a bar? And I said, no, I don't <laughs> want to open up a bar. <laughs> uh, but if we did something fun with it, like a brewery or something, I'd be down. So he's like, yeah, I'll do a brewery. So I, I, uh, was like, okay, cool. I was into craft brewing, all that stuff. I was like, let's, I, I would, cause for me as a brand guy, I'm like, I would love to design cans, the brand for it, all this stuff. Right. So we were a brewery for nine to 12 months, you know, of our, the, the infancy of our business planning stage. Right. And I had cans designed with the website ready to go. We had the, we had the brand, everything like that. And then we were getting ready to go for the financing route. And there were some laws that were changing on the distillation side of things here in Ohio. Um, up until four years ago, you were not allowed having a restaurant attached to a distillery. Before that, you were allowed to serve four one quarter ounce pours of alcohol at a distillery, and that was it. So one ounce of alcohol, you weren't allowed to put them in cocktails or anything like that. So when the law was shifting, we were, uh, where were we at having drinks? The blind lady. The blind lady. Rest in R. peace. R. Yeah. We were at the blind lady, and I was like, guys, I think we should be a distillery instead of a uh, brewery. Um, naturally for me, um, I had, a, I had a huge interest in brewing. I had never distilled in my life, but my dad has lived in Louisville, Kentucky the past 16 years. And I have been at that point on over 40 different distillery tours down there. I, I already had probably, you know, a modest collection of about 50 bottles or so like bourbon was something that I was very passionate about. And so when this law was changed, I was like, dude, it's like craft distilling is going to be the next thing. Craft beer is already here. There's a lot of so many great companies we'd be fighting against let's do a distillery, you know? And so, and they were like, sure. Yeah. And part of the reason we're at the blind lady, if anyone was there before it closed, it was a great craft cocktail bar. You know, it was, you know, part of the reason we're there is we love cocktails. We love spirits. So it was a pretty easy transition for us. Makes a lot of sense. And so when you decide to shift to, you know, building a distillery, are you immediately going to look for locations and Places, do you start with the product? Like, how does that, what does that look like? So we went back to the business plan first Mm -hmm. and we revised the business plan to make sure that it would actually work. And from that, I mean, it was probably another six months of revising the business plan, coming up with brand, uh, getting a pitch deck together, you know, all that stuff uh, before we actually started looking at locations. Yeah, I think part of one of our strengths was Adam having his own design firm, me running Zest. I think one of our strengths was we weren't naive to the process of raising capital. Mm-hmm. We knew we had to have a strong business plan. We knew we needed to have a brand put together. We knew we needed to have financials and costs and all those things. So we, I mean, we spent quite a bit of time on those things. Me at North Star Easton, I think yeah. every single week every for week. well over a year, just yeah. getting all the documents that we felt we needed together to then go and get the capital to get the project off the ground. Did was, you have any like hard no's or anything that like they were like, wow, like you like tough lessons during that process? I'm always interested in that because if you you think you have an idea and then you go and you show somebody who's completely neutral that just sees the money side. I mean, honestly, we I mean, we spent a lot of time and we brought in uh, consultants to help us nail down our numbers. So we had pretty compelling financials when we were finally ready to present this project. So and they were backed by actual consultants in the industry, specifically on the spirit side. 
So honestly, we had a decent amount of favorable feedback yeah. early on because nice. we put a lot of time in before but, uh, we but tried I would, to raise. You know, to reiterate off of that, where I felt like the shift happened is we also spent a year of our life investing into a brewery and we dropped that instantly and started over yeah. essentially because we knew that this was a better opportunity. And so like holding loosely, not, not, you know, being so dedicated on one project and have to see this project through to make it happen when it's like, no, we feel like even though we spent all this time and where you have to kind of put it on the shelf, you know, we're not throwing it away. We always say that maybe, uh, maybe the brewery will come back <laughs> oh, out yeah. at, at maybe some point. But uh, it, at that point, it's like taking a year's worth of work, taking the learnings from it and moving on, you know, onto something else. And that was, that was a big shift. But even to this day, I think that remains one of our strengths. Me and Adam are very passionate about the things that we're passionate about, but we also try to never lose sight of the business aspect of what we do. And for that, we have to remain flexible. We have to be able to pivot. We have to be able to look at a great idea and say, no, that's not the right time. We need to yeah. do something else. Yeah. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. So you talk about investing for a year in the brewery. Maybe talk about how deep of an investment did we have already fixed costs and capital allocated and, and we were uh, we had like a massive establishment and we had to go and, and try to repivot and re-raise capital or how did that look? No, I say we were right up against that. We had the plan together. We had the brand together. We had an outline of what we envisioned the product line being. We felt like we were at a point where we could go and start having conversations about, is this something you might be interested in investing in? Here's our vision for the brands. Yeah. Here's the direction we'd like to go. And it wasn't like a 10-page document. It was a 62-page document that was ready to go with the whole brand story, financials, you know, everything, appendix, all that stuff. And so then you look at the distillery option and are, are the, the capital costs similar? Is the startup structure similar? Uh, I guess it's kind of tough to answer. I think on the distillery side, equipment costs are definitely higher yeah. from all the research we've done. But one of the variables all along was the restaurant itself. When we were first, I mean, I guess throughout the whole process, really, until we found our building, our vision being realistic from our perspective was we're going to find a space that's going to be really focused around production but at the end of the day, on the customer facing side, this is really going to be a tasting room. You know, maybe it's going to be one or 2,000 square feet where people can come in, try our products. Maybe we can make some cocktails or on the beer side, pour some drafts, pull up some food trucks. But we never really envisioned this full on, you know, 200 seats, 6,000 square foot restaurant experience until we found our site in Grandview. Yeah. And we couldn't turn down the site. I mean, we went from looking. Looking for a you know six to eight thousand square foot facility where we were going to allocate four to five thousand square feet to the distillery, you know, and two to two to three to the restaurant and kitchen and all that stuff, to finding a seventeen thousand square foot location that had a great price and we couldn't pass it up because the location was awesome, and so all the, all of a sudden it went from a small tasting room to a two hundred plus seat restaurant. Um, but then again, it was putting aside our preconceived notions right. and plans and saying, okay, how do we pivot? How do we make this work for our business? And how do we, we know make this the is most a great location? Yeah, yeah. And you talk a little bit about the brand store. I think. And we'll probably pull back to this a few times throughout this discussion, but High Bank for me in particular is a brand that I feel like a lot of people across Columbus in particular really resonate with. And it's more than just a place you go and get drinks and eat. Like people are actually excited about uh, representing High Bank merchandise and just everything that you guys stand for. So 
Did you have that vision and, and have that all played out before you created and see, saw it turning into this or how did I mean, that's, out? that's always been the hope. I mean, again, my background is brand and brand management. I, I mean, I geek out about stories about, you know, in-depth nuggets that people can kind of like achieve as they continue to look into these stories. Every single bottle that we have has a story behind it. Um, High Bank in general, you know, has a story behind it that we can obviously get into, but that's the whole point. It's not just a name for a namesake. This is like, there's a reason why, you know, we are what we are and who we are, you know, because I want to be able to tell a story. It And all this story revolves around Columbus, Ohio. Well, let's, let's touch on that. Why? Yeah, I was going to bring up the, the, the high, high, bank high bank. I mean, we got a high bank Metro Park. We got mm-hmm. a high bank. Is sure. It- so like the reason for high bank. So we're looking for, you know, we were searching for like, what is a great name for a Columbus based distillery that relates to Columbus that isn't Columbus Distilling Company, right? Because as soon as we go outside of Columbus, we go into, you know, Michigan, for, for instance, nobody's going to want to buy a bottle of Columbus booze in Michigan, but we wanted a name that could that could go back to the founding or or the history of Columbus, and so trick them into buying. yeah, trick like, them into buying. It's like the Trojan horse for Michigan. So, <laughs> so, so High Bank comes from in in 1812 when they were trying to figure out where the actual capital of Ohio was going to be established. Dublin was consideration. Zanesville, Chillicothe, you know, some of these surrounding areas. One of the most uh, prominent ones was Franklinton, though. So Franklinton that we're all familiar of or familiar with. The reason why they didn't move the Columbus exactly to Franklinton was because of all the flooding that was happening in Franklinton. Uh, we're all familiar with the great flood of, you know, 1913. Previous to that, back in 1812, there was still that concern of flooding. And so they decided to build Columbus on the high bank of the Scioto and Olentangy rivers. And so as you look at our bottle of vodka, we tell that story. And our bottle of vodka also has two paint swashes that uh, go down on the front of it, representing the Scioto and the Olentangy River. And that's also why our vodka holds the high bank name. That's the only product that holds the high bank vodka, you know, name. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the one that tells that, tells that high bank story. All right. Well, now, now you got me curious about all the other names. So why Whiskey War? Oh, that's a great story. <laughs> I'm going to take over Jordan. Yeah, Sorry. I'll just hang out here for a minute. Uh, so, so Whiskey War. In 1875, there was a gentleman named Henry Corbin that was trying to open up a saloon 12 miles from here in a area called Westerville, Ohio, which most people know around here. Uh, in 1875, he tried to open up the saloon and there was, the, the short story is there was this riot that was happening outside of his saloon before it was opening. Uh, Westerville, Ohio was... Also, the founding area of the women's temperance movement and uh, had a massive Methodist uh, church presence there. So before his saloon was set to open, somebody the night before went in and put two barrels of gunpowder in it, lit it on fire, blew up his saloon. Two years later, Henry Corbin tried to open up his saloon again. Um, when he was going to open up a saloon again the week before, there was another riot that was happening outside. This time, Henry Corbin decided to take the uh, matters into his own hands. He went out on his front porch, unholstered both of his pistols, and started firing the pistols into the air to disperse the crowd. It is said that that single act is what ignited the whiskey wars that then led into prohibition. So they, uh, there was also the largest anti-saloon league printing press located in Westville, Ohio at that time. So when Henry Corbin came out, started firing into the air to disperse the crowd, the story goes that he was shooting at women and children and puppies and you know all this stuff because they were really trying to exacerbate this whole story that was happening. 
That night again, they threw gunpowder in his saloon. They blew it up. Henry Corbin never opened up a saloon in Westerville, Ohio. Well, fool me twice. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> so that is where we get the term whiskey war. That is why we have the two pistols that are crossing. We tell that story on the side of our bottle. It's an ode to Henry Corbin and what he was trying to do in Westerville. And it's really interesting. I live in Westerville, Ohio. This is how I you know, figured out part of this story. Um, Westerville, Ohio was still dry until I think 2002. They were still a dry city. Uh, they auctioned off the first drink for like, don't quote me on that. I think it was like three grand. Somebody paid to be able to drink. It went to charity, like to drink the first drink in Westerville, Ohio. So it's, it's fun. I mean, I love, I love those little stories. I do love how you threw puppies in there though. Just really pull, pull at the heartstrings of the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't even know if it's true, Probably but you got me. Probably some bald eagles and some seals and, you know. Yeah, definitely. So when you, when the early inflection points that you guys created in the company, when you look back on that, like what are the key things that stick out where you guys said, Hey, I actually think this is going to work and, and we've got traction. We're going to make it. As far as once we were actually open or? Yeah. Once you were rolling. I mean, we're extremely fortunate. I mean, the, the first 60 days our restaurant was open, we've still never matched those sales to this day. So, you know, that early support we had from the community really told us pretty quickly, like, Oh wow, we're onto something here. So that obviously meant a ton. Um, I mean that for me, I think the spirits has always been it's always been the longer play for us. It's always been, it's not about today or tomorrow. This is, a, and this is going back three years ago. It's about the long-term play of, you know, what we feel this brand can be on the spirit side. But again, for myself, I think the earliest indication was when there were thousands of people showing up every week and supporting High Bank Distillery, the restaurant, and then subsequently buying products out of our retail. That was the earliest sign to me, like, oh, we've done something right. Like people are really latching onto this and then seeing that continued you know, sales volume as we move forward. How do you think that started? I don't want to interrupt your version of, of answering that same question, but how do you think that early traction of just going bonkers for the first 60 days? I just think it was a unique concept. I mean, there wasn't, we were the first uh, distillery in Ohio that, that had a restaurant that was built from the ground up with a restaurant and a distillery attached to each other. It doesn't sound like a huge thing. You know, some of our other um, counterparts, you know, already had a restaurant open before we did. But the benefit of ours was, you know, if you ever walk into our space and you look into the back, you know, room area, massive room area, we have 14 foot, you know, high glass windows, five panels of them that stare right back into the distilling equipment. So you have the, like a premier view of what's going on. I'm literally during the week, I'm like a zoo animal, you know, back there, you can tap on the glass and I'll turn around and, you know, kind of look at you weird and, all that stuff. So it's just different. I think it's a different concept than most. It's our whole goal was to become a destination by becoming that destination, then becoming a favorite place to, to attend and eat. I think too, on the restaurant side, I mean, our design experience is very intentional. Nothing about it is by chance. Um, we could have 350 seats in high bank. We don't for a reason. Uh, it was very important to me that the place was very spaced out. It was a place for groups to gather you don't have to feel like you have to sit down, you know, pre-COVID. You could stand around tables if you wanted. If other people wanted to sit, we had games in the back. Yes, we have TVs, but we also have an elevated cocktail program that's won awards. We have a great food experience. For me, it was about taking all these different things about different concepts that I liked around the city that I didn't really feel anyone had really brought all into one place and doing our best to execute upon that. So I, I truly feel our restaurant is very unique compared to other places around the city. And I think that's been, yeah. in addition to the fact that we also are a distillery, I think was a huge driver of what drove interest for people and what's continued to drive interest. So something I'm curious about, and for background, my, my grandfather had a restaurant 
in and bar in New York City for 31 years. And Mike is from San Diego. In case <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> in case you missed, I I was sticking to the relevant points, but you know they're going to throw that one in there every time. Um, but he always told me, you know, look, don't don't get into restaurants because they're far more work than what you would expect them to be. So when you guys first started up, was there more work than you expected? Were you spending longer amount of time in the restaurant than you thought you were going to? Well, again, I, I had zest already, so I was already working, you know, <laughs> yeah. 80 to 100 hours a week. So I kind of. So you had another 80 or 100 lying around. 100%. Yeah. The nice thing about High Bank was because, it, you know, it is a bigger business than Zest as far as like a single location goes. I mean, we made an investment in our people right off the rip. We knew that by ourselves, we couldn't run this thing. We needed to get a professional restaurant team, a professional culinary team into this business. Yes, it's not going to be cheap, but let's make the investment up front because we believe in the long-term goals of this business. And we also know you only have one chance to make a first impression. So it's going to hurt maybe to spend a little bit more money up front, but that's how we build this business day one. And that's how we get return customers day one. So having the right team in place, and even though for the most part, we've moved on from a lot of those early uh, staffers and we have an incredible team now, those people still helped us build the restaurant mm -hmm. day one and helped set us up for success. And Jordan still works 80 to 100 hours a week. Right. He, oh. You 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 haven't flowed more though. I do notice that. Well, I just go home. Which to is work. good. The work yeah, never stops. Maybe. Yeah. Ask yeah, my wife how many hours of work. <laughs> We're gonna take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. So when you guys talk about starting this and you already had a lot going on in your plate, you see some entrepreneurs where they want to jump in and they want to be the operator and they're going to build it. And that's how they're kind of going to, going to create the equity. It almost seems like, and you guys can check me if I'm wrong, your guys' equity came from the fact that you understood that you're going to take this capital, build a really great brand and then put amazing people in it to run it and, and help you guys. Cause you didn't have the bandwidth yourself and build the equity from there. Does that seem like the right approach that you took or? Well, I'll just, I'll speak on the distillery side of things and Jordan can speak on the restaurant side of things. I mean, in a sense, yes. I mean, we, we spend so much time at high bank, uh, but we also need to be kind of the visionaries and, and kind of like hold some of these other, hold some of these other roles. But I mean, it was the same thing. We, uh, you know, we had a, um, consultant from Brown Foreman, you know, work with me cause you know, I wasn't going to pretend that all of a sudden I knew how to distill, you know, I, I took classes down at a place. It's a real place called moonshine university in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. I'd go stay with my dad and, and do week-long intensive classes down there. Shout out some people up in uh, Black Button Distilling, Jason, who owns Black Button Distilling up there. I would shadow him. We, uh, Tyler Gomez, you know, he was a master distiller in Kentucky. He came up and he was, you know, for a week long, he basically lived with me. And we, you know, day after day after day, we're going through our mash bill and, and, and you know, refining it down and figuring out, okay, our machine's different than what we're, you know, than any other machine. Every machine is different. Every distilling piece of equipment is different. And what's the best product that we can create out of this thing, you know? And, and I would have never been able to do that myself. You know, I didn't have the background to do that. I didn't have the 12 years of distilling previously to understand, you know, what that was. And I think it's the same when it goes into the, you know, to the restaurant side of things. Yeah, it was definitely a journey early on. Cause I went from zest where I knew everything. I knew every aspect of how to run that business. I knew more than anyone did about that business. So to come into high bank where I have a general manager, I have an executive chef, it definitely, there was a process of finding my place, but even then very early on, I realized, you know, I, I sit in the seat that I'm in because I have a certain vision on what service should look like, what the guest experience should look like, what every plate should look like, what every drink should look like. And even though 
I'd never been a GM or I'd never been an executive chef, those standards of operation were inherent in me. And I didn't need that past experience to know what I wanted out of the business. So it was about connecting with my team and figuring out, you know, how do, how do we leverage your skill set and your experience, but make sure that we're meeting the standards of what we want this business to be. But it was definitely a journey stepping into a role I wasn't super familiar with and finding like, how can I add the best value while supporting my team? So, I mean, very early on, I didn't know what I was going to be doing. And sure enough, it was, you know, 60 hours a week there. And then the rest of the time continuing to operate Zest, which now I have an incredible person named Amanda to help me run Zest. And Amanda's I, great. I couldn't do it without her. <laughs> How have things grown and evolved over time? Like if you reflect back since the days the the doors opened, what's been the biggest shifts and where are you guys at today? COVID. Yeah. Well, even before COVID, I mean, I think it's a testament to the success of our restaurant, you know, Restoration Hardware opened up at East End. Um, if you haven't been there, uh, they have a little bit more money than we do. Um, <laughs> they decided that I guess we have a pretty good thing going on at High Bank Distillery in Grandview. So we should probably hire their uh, GM to run their spot at East End. So, which is great. I mean, to me, it was like a compliment to us that they hired our general manager, but we were- And we were happy for him too. hundred percent. Cause it- Charles Carter, he's they a good could, friend. They he's could like, pay him way more than we could ever afford to pay him. You know, it was, it was literally an offer. It was like, congratulations. congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> but he earned it. He's a great yeah, guy. He's, great. he's doing a great job over there. But we were at a point where we were kind of transitioning our front house management team. That was a big change for us. I actually decided to step in and take on the pseudo GM role alongside two of our younger managers. Because essentially for me, it was, and I had a conversation with them of, do you guys want me to bring in a new GM or do we want to kind of work through this together, let you guys grow and move into this role? Because to me, I was super protective of the culture. We were about two years, a year and a half old at that point. Mm -hmm. Year and a half. And yeah. our culture was in a great place. And the most important thing to me was protecting that culture that we'd worked so hard over the last year and a half to build. And you had a year and a half to see what Charles was doing, you know, so you weren't coming in. We worked in very closely. And you worked super close with Charles and it was, it was the best move that we could have done for our business. You were in that role for what, a year? A little over a year? 15 months. And it was great. I mean, the, the amount of things that we were able to, you know, get buttoned up and execute. And I mean, and the fact that you were in that role during COVID, yeah. when COVID happened, that was huge. Like that was huge for us. I mean, there was, yeah, there's a lot of positive to say about that. Yeah. So that was pretty big for us. Um, but I'm fortunate that in the month of December, I was able to transition out of that role and move back into more of a, you know, president, visionary role, all that jazz. Yeah, and we promoted Zach, who has been with us day one. He was- Started, you know, as, a bartender. started as a bartender. Went to an assistant, you know, manager role. And then now is the GM, you know, of High Bank. And he's also awesome. Yeah, you know? and he's earned it every step of the way. Yeah. So. Well, that's great. So something that I see, there's a theme that I'm sensing, which is you guys see an opportunity, you- move on it. And even in bad situations. So COVID hits. Sure. And the thing that I think of, I mean, we've got bottles of san hand sanitizer all over the place in this, in this building from high bank. And so it seems like when COVID hit, you guys looked at it. I mean, obviously you were considering, okay, there's going to be some negative impacts here, but your immediate thought was, how can we, how can we turn this into a positive? How can we move on this? What, what did it take to pivot that entire operation to number one, instead of distilling drinkable alcohol distilling hand sanitizer. Yeah, I had and, about five days to learn how to make hand sanitizer. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine it's a quick turnaround. <laughs> and then also, right, you you have to pivot the entire, so you get the to-go cocktails going. You mm -hmm. get like the, I mean, I'm guessing the mix didn't have much delivery going yeah. on at that time. And so there's just so many things going on. Like that's a lot to pivot in one moment. How, do you, how did you guys handle that? 
I mean, we just sat down and had a meeting and, you know, and honestly, <laughs> looking back, it's like, you know, what opportunities, but back then it was just like, how do we survive? How we, do we generate some revenue and get through this? Because we made a commitment to our salary team day one of like, we're not laying any of you off. You guys have helped us get here. Yes, we could lay you guys off and save money, but it doesn't seem right when the only reason our business is We have been such so- a good team. Like we don't want to, we don't want to lose them. Yeah, we didn't want to lose him. But again, I'm a very loyal person. I didn't feel right when a team had helped us build a brand for two years and helped us make money and be successful to get to a hard point and just say, sorry, guys, you don't have a job anymore. This didn't feel right to me. So it's like, we're not going to be able to recover what the restaurant did. We lost 90% of our business. A high volume restaurant like ours, you cannot make up for that and to go. But everyone buckled down and pretty much said, you know, what can we do? What do you need us to do? And they bought in immediately to everything me and Adam asked again, the projects, to-go cocktails, to-go mixers, had never done any of that stuff. We'd been talking about mixers for a while, but this was a chance of like, okay, let's dive in. Let's figure out how to do this immediately. The sanitizer, how do we do this? Mm-hmm. Sales team, uh, go start making sanitizer with Adam, start bottling, start labeling. I went from having one, you know, full-time employee back there to having like five, because I had our sales team back there and, you know, a couple other people. And it was, it was just figuring out how we could, I always think that, you know, COVID for us is, it's bittersweet. It really sucked for our restaurant side of the business, but we still learned a lot, you know, on the restaurant side of the business. And we like, were able to expand, especially into the to-go cocktails and the mixers for the distillery side of things though. You know, it's, it's that bittersweet aspect where we were able to flip, you know, our business and do hand sanitizer as we were doing spirit production and sales where we lost all of our wholesale because all the restaurants were shut down, but our retail grew 400%, you know, during that time. And we went, we were the first distillery because I mean, the reality is we're not as large of a production as some of our other, you know, people here in central Ohio from distillation side of things. We were still producing probably about 2000 bottles a month, you know, of hand sanitizer, um, roughly, Uh, I'm sorry, 2000 bottles a week is what we were producing. Um, and we were giving away probably, you know, 800 bottles or so a week in hand sanitizers, you know, during the, the peak time. And the rest uh, to first responders and stuff. Then the rest were going to the public. We were the first ones to release hand sanitizer to the public. And it was a really interesting, it was just, it was so fascinating to me because we, we had a couple news stories on us and all that stuff. When we first released our hand sanitizer to the public, we had a line that was over 300 yards long outside of our building of people spaced, you know, six feet apart down the street. And we had that for like seven days in a row. Uh, for when we were open and we were asking people, thanks for coming in and thanks for supporting us. Have you ever been here before? We're, we're guessing, you know, over 70% of the people that were there had never even heard of high bank before. So it was such a huge brand builder for us mm-hmm. and brand loyalty for us and people that were so excited and not, they weren't just coming in and picking up their two bottles of hand sanitizer that we were allowing them to grab. They were grabbing whiskey, they were grabbing mixers, they were grabbing other stuff to support us because we were there, you know, for the community, which we, I mean, we were grateful to them, you know, it was such mm-hmm. a, such a cool experience. And in 2020, you guys ended up, I mean, not only that, but to top it all off, you guys were named the best cocktail bar in Columbus in 2020, right? Yeah. So not only did you pivot, but you did it well. And I mean, that's gotta, that's gotta feel pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it's undoubtedly a testament to the team we have at High Bank. Yep. You know, it starts with, you know, our mixologist, Zach, Rudy, but then it trickles down to our bar staff who executes those drinks every day. I mean, Zach and Rudy can come up with the best drinks in the world, but if the bar staff isn't executing them, the consistency isn't there, then it doesn't matter. So that's really a testament to the team that we have in place. We're extremely fortunate to have them and we're very, very fortunate and appreciate the yeah. you know, respect from Columbus. Uh, during quarantine, I know 
you know, Josh and I and, uh, you know, Shannon and Jenna, we all ended up uh, having many a night drinking uh, high bank cocktails <laughs> and uh, keeping us going through quarantine. So yes. it was, uh, we're, we're grateful for you guys. We appreciate the support. Um, <laughs> but let me ask this, what motivates you guys to kind of keep going? I mean, this is obviously a lot of work. We talked about 80, hundred hours a week for some weeks. How do you keep, you know, how do you keep pushing through all that? It's the potential for me. It's, it's where this can keep going for me. Like the restaurant side of the things is exciting to me, but my investment is helping design the experience, making sure that people it's communicated well, you know, all that stuff. And I know like, and, and I have the freedom to allow that to be like pushed onto Jordan and he can kind of run that and does an ex excellent job for me. It's, it's the spirits, it's people, you know, seeing the products that I make, not even just from like, uh, you know, the distilled spirits inside, but the packaging, interacting with the brand, you know, all this stuff that I get to make from, you know, kind of ground up. It's exciting to me. You know, I, I want to see high bank products flood the state of Ohio. You know, I want to see, uh, we just hired our first uh, salesperson in Cincinnati who we're super excited about. We, we just drove down, you know, at the beginning of January, Jordan, and I did and uh, loaded up my truck with a, you know, a bunch of product for her to start pushing and, and rented a storage unit and all that stuff. Like we're hitting Cincinnati now, you know, it's, it's stuff like that. It's just, it's exciting. Cause there's always something, I mean, Jordan and I, we always talk about what the future can hold, you know, for this business and it's exciting. Yeah. I try and savor those moments where we're sitting in a storage unit, building shelves, loading <laughs> it with, you know, material she needs. And I try and, I try and like take little moments to stop and remember those things. Cause you know, hopefully someday we'll be looking back. Remember, we you remember that when we were doing unit, that? <laughs> setting that up. Yeah. But I mean, to answer that question, I think it's kind of twofold for me, what motivates me and, and fuels me. I mean, part of it, you know, we talked about our team a little bit. I'm, and it's, it's very, it's very honest. Like my team, our team means everything to me. We wouldn't be sitting here without our team. We wouldn't have the success we've had with our team. So a lot of what motivates me is making sure that we're continuing to push the brand forward so that people that are helping us have all the success, have opportunities to grow and continue to have their careers go forward. Because we have people that could work anywhere they want in the city. They choose to work for us. They believe in us. So to me, we owe it to them to make sure that we're pushing things forward so that this, is, this isn't just a stagnant position for them. This is a growth opportunity for them as well. On the personal side, I mean, I'm just, I don't know. It's just like an inherent obsession with, I don't know, I just want to have professional success. You know, I don't know what drives that. It's just always been in me. Come from pretty humble beginnings. Finances were never strong growing up. So I just want to, you know, hopefully have an easier path for my family. I want to be able to support my brother's family, my parents. You know, they made a lot of sacrifices for me. So there's definitely a personal desire that motivates me every day to try and keep pushing forward. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. You know, it really couldn't be cooler to have a sponsor and a partner like One Columbus. They are directly in alignment with everything we stand for and everything we're looking to promote here at Conquering Columbus. I mean, they just want to bring the most competitive companies to the area and make everything about the city and the region just one of the greatest places to live in the United States and in the world for that matter. Yeah, they're like the ultimate Columbus hype man. They're trying to bring new businesses here, show them what our strengths are, but also address some of the weaknesses and say, like, this is how we could get better. So for us, we're excited to help promote their goal and help tell the story with them on board. Absolutely. And if you guys want to learn more about One Columbus, check them out at columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. You mentioned some of the current initiatives surrounding maybe a market entry into Cincinnati. So when you look at, you know, an organization that has success in one area, you think, well, that's great. Probably did a lot of things right. Some people are going to be naysayers and say, oh, you know, you struck fire once. Can you do it again? And that replication is really 
what can be a testament to the brand and, and the business operations and what you guys have built. So as you look at entering a new market, what does that look like for you guys? Where do you focus in the beginning? How do you get the ball rolling? Relationships. Yeah. 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 I'm beating a dead horse here. People. I mean, we, we were up in the air on, do we go to Cleveland first or do we go to Cincinnati first? Um, when we decided, okay, we have a three person sales team in Columbus. We're very comfortable with where we are in Columbus. We feel like we have enough bandwidth to cover the market. And we got a referral um, for our salesperson who's since joined our team, Alicia. And it was literally the, I mean, the the experience she brought, the personality. She was just the perfect fit. The drive she has. Yeah. Yeah. So regardless of any position, I think a lot of our growth has been fueled by finding the right people at the right times. If we would have found the right person in Cleveland, to be honest, we would have gone there. Um, we've we've really tried a lot of let a lot of our decision-making and growth when we're looking for positions be fueled by finding the right people. And again, not being dead set on like, we're going to Cleveland. Cause quite frankly, me and Adam have far more ties in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. I've got a lot of business relationships in Cleveland, but Alicia was such a perfect fit for us. It was like, we can't pass on such a great person to join our company. Yeah. Let's, let's pivot. What about some of the other initiatives you guys are working on, like Whiskey Society and, and talk to the details on those and what your goals are? Oh, yeah, we didn't and, even get to that yet. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we got to do a part two because I mean, like our, our thing, like when we worked together during COVID, that was, yeah. you know, donating to the community and stuff like that. That was really fun. And that's yeah. like, that's a whole story in itself. And then the other stuff, but yeah, definitely Whiskey Society. That's how I just joined it. I'm super excited about it. I guess talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Whiskey Society is something that we have talked about doing for a while. You know, our biggest focus is how do we continue to reward the people that are really into our brands and how do we continue to, you know, uh, create brand ambassadors, you know, for high bank. Um, and it just felt like kind of this natural thing. It's like, well, what can we offer them? I mean, it was, it was myself, Jordan and Rudy that were sitting down a lot and just talking through ideas and how do we get people excited? And we have, we've always had ideas for these special event things that we want to do. And, and so whiskey society was really our outlet for that. We kind of did a soft launch in December. We're capping at a hundred people for now. Uh, we already have, you know, 60 some that have joined out of basically no marketing at all. Um, and we, we have a lot of really great ideas for the future, but it, it's, a uh, you know, for those of you that, I mean, probably most of you don't know what it is. What Whiskey Society is, is it's a cost of 200 bucks, but what you get is you get a box. Is that monthly or annual? It's annually one, one time a year, $200. And in that box, it pays for itself. Uh, you get a bottle of barrel proof, which is 50 bucks. You get a t-shirt you get a whiskey society custom glass and then you get 12 free cocktail or whiskey flight cards. I mean, cocktails are 12 to $15, you know, whiskey flights, same. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Nine to $12. Oh, sorry. sorry. Jeez. I'm thinking if you're going to use these cards, go get the executive yeah, get the decision. decision. And yeah. Yeah. $15 dollars. cocktail. Big boys. Yeah. If you're going to use a free one, you might as well get the expensive yeah, right. one. Right. Yeah. So yes, nine to $12 is where our cocktails usually lie. But, uh, or you can do a flight of whiskey and then you also get another card that is uh, for a free tour up to 10 people, like a custom tour that you can do anytime at High Bank. Um, and then in addition to that, we're doing these uh, events, these periodic events every six to eight weeks. We're trying to do an event for the Whiskey Society. We just did our first one, which was great. Tim was Tim was in attendance of, and he can hopefully attest that it was a good, good, fun event. Yeah, just, I mean, you had you had Rudy, who's unfortunately not in this episode, but yes. a very charismatic drink inventor. Yeah. He, he's he just loves booze, and yeah. so he came on and he talked. You guys told the story a little bit, but then he in detail told how to make. Yeah, I don't remember what a the drink was. Sour, yeah, yeah, whiskey sour. So you get some community and then some value from it from 
like an actual, yeah. What, why do we make this? Why do we use this? Not just put this in the cup, but he was like, here's why we use these right. things. Right. And we, we have these, so we're always going to do these kind of free meet and greet attempts or events for uh, whiskey society. But then we also have these events that we have planned that are really elevated events. You know, the first one is, you know, that we're going to be announcing here soon to the society is going to be, you know, two ounce pours of our barrel select, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon that came out, our barrel select, um, San Giovese, and then also our double Oak, which none of them are available anymore. Um, and we want to do these little pour samples, you know, for people that are, that are involved in the whiskey society only and an event that they can, they can attend. Um, and so, you know, and then you're going to talk to the origins. Yeah. Of I mean, it's the whole, yeah, it's the whole idea of why we're doing, um, these bottles that we came out with the barrel select program, the, the double Oak sold out in a day, which we were super surprised about. There's 204 bottles sold out in a day. We had 200 and, 36 or 240 bottles of each of the barrel selects, they sold out in 93 minutes. I mean, they, they, everything went fast, you know, uh, which we were blown away by. And so obviously we kept some back for our bar. And so we can take some of the stuff that we have back for our bar and kind of make these events out of and, and do these special things for. Okay. Well, what are you guys seeing for the future at high bank? What's coming down the pipe? Oh man, that's, that's a tough one to answer. I feel like we're going to conquer Columbus. Yeah, conquer Columbus, huh? that's, <laughs> no, Man, I feel yeah. like that's a great name for a podcast. <laughs> that just costs you guys money. <laughs> I mean, obviously coming out of COVID, there's just a huge focus on let's get everything reestablished. You know, let's dial everything back in. Let's get back to normal. Let's get back into our rhythm. We had a good thing going after the shutdown. And, you know, obviously as the city saw, we had some COVID spikes that, everyone was rightfully concerned about. So we saw a drawback in our restaurant business. So as we go into the spring and summer, it's really like, let's get back to business. Let's get the patio open. Yeah. Let's, you know, reiterate like how safe high bank is because we still, you know, for the foreseeable future, we're going to keep everything, you know, socially yeah, social distance and all that stuff. So, so a lot of the focus is just on getting back to business just this year, having yeah. a really successful year and then carrying a ton of momentum in the uh, 2022, I guess. But then also we do have some, you know, special releases coming out this year. Yeah, we, uh, so obviously we're going to c- continue to do some barrel selects. We have a, a couple more barrels of bourbon that'll be released this year. But something else that's fun, the next one that's going to be coming out here in March is uh, our barrel select gin. You know, as we are aging these, you know, this, maybe we're sourcing these wine barrels that then age whiskey in. And it's like, well, what do we want to do with these barrels? Something that's really easy to do is put our, you know, citrus forward gin in them and see how it's going to turn out. And we have our first one coming out in March. It's amazing. Hmm. It's like, a, you know, we kind of describe it as this like rosé gin, you know, type of thing. The color on it, it's really pretty. And uh, it has this really, what it was, was it was actually a whiskey barrel first. Then we sent it to a winery and it aged a Cabernet Sauvignon in it for 18 months. And then they asked if I wanted the barrel back. And I said, sure. And then I, uh, when I got it back, I put gin in it and it aged a gin for 10 months in it. And it's the best gin I've ever had in my life. It's probably the best one we ever do, unfortunately. <laughs> it's, like, it's all downhill from here. Well, <laughs> well as I was going to say, like, that sounds like that's a long... So, so first you have to age... There was whiskey aged in it for three years, and then there was a Cabernet Sauvignon aged in it for... That's like the most expensive barrel 18 months, of all time. And then we put gin in it for 10 months. And they just gave it to you. Yeah, and they gave... Like, well, I gave them the barrel on the well, front yeah. end, you know? <laughs> so they were just like, do you want it back? I'm like, yeah, well, I'll take it back. That's that's a long that's a long runtime to yeah. get one barrel. It's been on a journey. <laughs> when we tasted it, Unfortunately, we only have 204 bottles of it. When we taste it, we're like, holy crap, this yep. is really good. It's very good. How do we make this again? Yeah. And we're still working on that. Yeah. <laughs> the, one of the things, obviously, we're doing all these different collaboration things. 
the the biggest thing is and why we're you know have all these different collaborations is we have still yet to release our bourbon that we make in-house whiskey war is a product and we're very open with it we it's a product that we source three different mash bills from two different distilleries to uh to make the blend that we have it's a custom blend that nobody else has um but we've also you know have been working on our bourbon for the last two years as well. Um, the whole reason why we came out with our whiskey war blend is I hate young bourbons. I want a properly aged bourbon. I need the viscosity. I need the oil from the wood. I need the flavor. I don't want to release, release something that's too young. And so, uh, we came out the whiskey war. That's what we launched with. And our bourbons at just over two years old now. Um, and it's probably going to be ready around the three year mark. So this time next year, hopefully, you know, we're ready to, you know, launch our bourbon, uh, people always ask, when's it going to be ready? When's it going to be ready? And it's like, when it's ready. I mean, <laughs> it's it's such we're in the flavor business and it's not a matter of like, well, we need to hit Q4 numbers. So we got to release this. That's we've spent too much time and money <laughs> to release this at a certain quarter. It needs to be released when it's ready, you know? And so, but we're like, we, I mean, Jordan, and I just tasted it um, a month ago, you know, not even a couple of weeks, yeah, ago. weeks ago. And uh, it's heading in the right direction for sure. Mm. We're excited about it. Very so. good. Well, you guys have created an amazing uh, restaurant and distillery. You didn't have to shoot at any puppies to get it done and <laughs> nothing ever blew up. So that is definitely an accomplishment. That's... I want to thank you personally too for Lonesome Cowboy and the Pineapple Chili Margarita, which has Ooh. been discontinued, but I'm confident oh, no. that you'll bring back it, it's after. It's just seasonal. It's, just, it's coming be, back in the spring. Here in about two months. So, so it's seasonal means all seasons <laughs> moving forward, hopefully. <laughs> Actually, I did have one other question that I, that I just remembered. So 10 o'clock shutdown time. Yeah. How has that affected you guys? I mean, I mean, it's, it's obviously not the greatest, but yeah, I mean, it's it's tough, especially when you think about any sporting event. Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking o'clock. about. I was like, man, I normally like I would be watching. So I'm very confident that the Buckeyes you're a huge lost Browns fan because we didn't get to go watch Highbank. That's what 100%. I think. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, essentially, anytime there was an eight o'clock game, people are like, "Oh, how's business going to be tonight?" Terrible. Because yeah. everyone has to be out of here by halftime, so no one's coming out. So, yeah, yeah it's been tough. Um, I mean, you know, we understand the reasons for it. You know, we respect, you know, the governor's decision, you know, the health department's decision to try and do everything we can to combat COVID. But it's it's undoubtedly been very tough on the business. Um, we're not a late night spot per se, but it you can see very clearly in the restaurant side how it impacts people's dining decisions because I think there's still even this perception of like, oh, I need to be home by 10. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the business by nine is pretty much dead. Um, it, it's been a, it's been a really big challenge. Uh, you know, I'm hopeful here in the next couple of weeks, if things continue to trend in the right direction, that we'll get to be back open, even just till midnight makes a huge difference. But it's been a big challenge on, on, the, uh, on the business. It's definitely impacted sales. Um, but hey, you know, the staff loves getting to go home at like 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. well, there you go. Guys, I think that's a great place to kind of head towards our last question of the show. It's centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. And uh, probably don't have to tell you about why we made that the theme for a show about business owners and entrepreneurs. But what do you guys think of when you hear the phrase, how does it apply to your life and careers? I think the first thing that comes to mind as far as living uncomfortably is, I mean, that's how me and my wife started Zest. You know, we both had salary jobs. We both had 401ks. We both had health insurance. When you really take a step back and think about, you know, Columbus, which I love. Um, it's my home. I grew up here. I'll probably live here the rest of my life. Not the healthiest city. So when you think about, you know, starting a cold press juice bar, selling juice and smoothies for $9 a piece, and you're going to quit your salary job with all your benefits and all your health insurance to do that, that was a pretty uncomfortable situation for us. But 
you know, we believed in our brand. We believed in our mission. We believed in ourselves. Um, and we believed that there was a place to provide different options to the city. And if we did things the right way and, you know, stuck to our standards and our, our values and our vision that it would, it would work out. And, you know, fortunately for us, it did. Yeah. Similar to that, you know, the, the step into being an entrepreneur came before high bank, you know, for me as well with opening up a design firm called States of Design. Um, this was, I don't know, four or five years, you know, before we actually started high bank. And then it, it was a similar thing to me though. Like I never thought I would have even, you know, a boutique design company. Um, I, I worked at a job, a great job for six years, loved it, was a creative director there. And then went to a different agency, which I thought was going to be better, was not better, was there for a short stint of three months and was basically forced into doing my own thing. And when you talk about living uncomfortably, that was also my wife, you know, at the same time felt like she, we knew before I even quit my job that she was not going to renew her teaching, her teaching job where she was currently at at a charter school. And so we both quit our jobs <laughs> at the beginning of the summer. She had a paycheck that went through, you know, the end of the summer of that year. And, uh, I mean, super fortunate and feel super blessed. You know, we, I was able to, you know, secure, secure some clients and she was able to get a great teaching job. Um, I mean, f- for me, it's always been, my wife's been, you know, my greatest supporter in that she's always held, you know, a, a solid job. You know, she's a, she's a third grade teacher currently here in Westerville. And so decent pay, great benefits, you know, and it's always allowed me to take risks and do some different things because we've chosen to live small as a family. We don't have a huge house, you know, we don't have a ton of bills, you know, all that stuff. So we could continue to be flexible and do different stuff. And I think it's those sacrifices that you kind of have to make and choose if you want to try and gain something on the back end. And that's, that's our whole goal, you know, so would not be here if I uh, didn't have a, a wife that encouraged me to, to do this shit. Oh, well, I thought so. you were going to say you wouldn't be here if you hadn't met me. Or Jordan. Right. Well, hey, you if know, what can you he's do? My, he's my work wife. Yeah. <laughs> it's my home wife and my work wife. There you go. <laughs> well, Adam, Jordan, it's been great talking to you guys. We really enjoyed the conversation and uh, appreciate you taking the time to tell your story here on the show. Appreciate yeah, you guys for having us. us. Yeah, and uh, Conquerors, thanks for tuning in. You know the drill. If you're not subscribed... Hit that subscribe button so you can get interviews like this every week with everybody who's leading here in Columbus. Uh, Hope you enjoyed that interview. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.